The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And the screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem, tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who's on this town tonight. Welcome to Tommy Lasseter Sports Stop. Talk, Phoenix, Arizona. Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris, Cindy Liska in studio. I believe Kwame will be calling in a little bit later. But for now, I got the ladies. Uh, how's everything going? Really quick. So, You're a lucky guy. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Good. So I did a couple uh, football camps the last two Saturdays, talking to uh, kickers, punters, and snappers uh, that are getting ready for the NFL and looking to go through their pro days and their combines and make it happen. So cool. that was a lot of fun. It's crazy. Football is definitely a 12-month sport. Oh yeah. It's nuts. A uh, lot to talk about. Lots to talk about. With the Super Bowl is set. We have the Harbowl, you know, I mean, I'm sure there'll be a, a new name coined uh, in the near future. Uh, Lakers trouble, Lance Armstrong, Manti Teo in the third segment. I know it's a little late, but having once a Liars. Week, yeah, well, uh, I guess we'll talk Word. about it. Save it for now. And then uh, Down and Dirty with Deborah in the fourth segment. We missed it last week, so I'm excited to get into that. So Super Bowl is set, San Francisco 49ers, Baltimore Ravens. It's going to be a good one. A lot of people didn't predict this to happen. A lot of people thought that either Tom Brady or Peyton Manning would be in the Super Bowl with you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers or the ilk. And um, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, This is something that's it, it's a little off-kilter from what we're normally used to in the past few years with the dominant quarterbacks. Both of these guys don't really have the gaudiest numbers in the world, one being a rookie who's only played nine games in the NFL so far. I'm just really intrigued by what happened this past weekend. Um, the Niners... Beat the, beat the Falcons 28-24. The Falcons implode once again. They should have lost the week before. They end up losing this week. After giving up 37 points, uh, after scoring 37 straight points in the two games combined recently, the Falcons were outscored 56-17 in the rest of the games combined. So I know that Matt Ryan did his part. He had incredible numbers and whatnot. Their run game was kind of suspect in, in the NFC Championship game. You can't really hold this all on the defense. I think it's more of the scheming as with the coach. I think Mike Smith, in my opinion, should be fired, but I know he won't because uh, they got as far as they as they have in his tenure there. I just I just don't know where the disconnect is. Matt Ryan was the one that was always questioned in recent years, but he put up really good numbers. He he did have two fumbles last game and an interception that was kind of a questionable one. But um, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with the Falcons organization going forward. I think you got to give some credit to Kaepernick too, who. I mean, he could have totally fallen apart coming down 17 nothing, and he held it together and rallied, and, and I, I was impressed with him. Well, he's learning on the job, he which is. is really interesting, and I like the idea, not only do we have the hardballs, you know, against each other, but, you know, Kaepernick, who's a, a rookie coming in against um, Ray Lewis, yeah. you know, we're looking at uh, a guy on his way out and a guy on his way in. Wait, right. you talk about emotion. I don't think I've ever seen that much emotion on a sideline before mm. during pregame is watching right. Ray Lewis. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, <laughs> like, he's dude, it hasn't even started yet. Relax. Definitely an emotional cat. Uh, 
not many times in Super Bowls do you have a win-win situation. You either have a rookie who has this the uh, the spread option or the read option uh, offense in his in his arsenal. No quarterbacks ever really won that that had that was you know at least a thirty or forty percent runner like Kaepernick is. He Jim Harbaugh is such a genius that he went from starting Colin Kaepernick to starting Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick in Alex Smith's body. Threw the ball twenty one <laughs> times, rushed the ball twice, one for one for loss of yards, and all they did was run the ball and play good defense and take away the first of uh, fifteen minutes and six seconds of the game where they put up seventeen quick points. But Kaepernick, he's got a great arm. He's really smart. This is another guy coming out of college that is ready to play right away, and it's it, it's really it's really amazing to see that these guys are playing against 33, 34-year-old, 10, 12-year veterans and tearing them apart. And they, he has the control of the of the huddle of the team. Everybody's believing in him. Obviously, his coach believes in him because he took almost a fireable risk sitting a guy that got him to the NFC Championship game the year before, and he's flourishing. Jim Harbaugh is wowing people every second that he's on that sideline. Yeah, he's made some really gutsy moves, and I really like, like you say, with these quarterbacks that are coming out that are not just good players, but they're coming out as leaders. Um, and even though they're up, you know, going on to teams with a lot of veterans, they're taking charge. It's that kind of kicking ass and taking names and not really caring about the names. Yeah. Do you credit those? The collegiate coaches must be doing something right then. If these are, there's a lot of them now coming out like that. Yeah, I mean, you have to to a certain extent. I also think that the pure talent that these guys had. I mean, you look at RG three, Russell Wilson, and Colin Kaepernick. They all have the run in their arsenal. They don't. Well, and all of all three of them have shown how good of arms they have. Because a lot of times in college, you can run all over. You're running. You're playing against 18 year olds that just. Oh my God, I got a scholarship, or I got a, or I'm, I walked on, and I'm on the team. I have a number. You know, I have a jersey. And these guys just run all over them. But in the NFL, when you have grown men that have done this is their job, this is their paycheck, and they're still doing the same thing, it's really, it's really amazing to see. And they're not just showing the talent, though. They're showing the poise. They're showing patience. They're showing um, a leadership. That's more than just the physical. There's something in, that's coming into their heads. That, yeah, and I think, I think that that's the bridge right there is the mental game has, has started at such a young age now. I mean, even in Pop Warner and, and, and middle school and high school, you just have these guys that, are just smart. They're just smart. You know, the, the Wonderlick tests and all these things, all these tests that people, they throw that out the window. They're like, I know how to play this game. I know how to lead a team, which is most important, especially down 17 nothing with Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. I thought, I was like, well, let's see what this kid can do because he hasn't been in this position since he's, since he's won the starting job. Well, he was given the starting job through yeah. injury. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, the whole mental aspect of it and the emotional aspect of it that, you know, if you're ahead and stay ahead, that's one thing, and that's still playing great ball. But when you're behind and you can hold it together and hold your team together to come back, that's, that's saying something. Absolutely. So you have San Francisco, which is a lot of times a run-first, play-defense kind of team. Kaepernick's kind of thrown a monkey wrench into that. And then you have Joe Flacco, the, the warrior in the playoffs, who's won a playoff game every five, in all five years that he's been in the league, made the playoffs every year. John Harbaugh came in the same year. You have Ray Rice, one of the top three running backs in the NFL, and then you have the Ray Lewis factor. People questioned his timing with saying that he was going to retire, and I, I thought it was kind of obvious as to why he did it, because they limped into the playoffs. They, they were playing uninspired football towards the last quarter of the season, and he tells them this. I'm sure it's very heartfelt. I'm sure he sat everybody down or stood up in front of everybody dancing around saying how excited he is to make the playoffs and, and all these things. But the timing couldn't have been better, and they seem like the chosen team. I'm going to pick the Baltimore Ravens mm-hmm. to win the Super Bowl. I never thought I'd say that. And the X factor in the Super Bowl 
I'm going to say it right here first, is Anquan Bolden. Because oh, I know he's it. been yeah. so Amazing. solid. And that's, he was the main focal point with, with the... Uh, with the Cardinals when he was here in the Super Bowl run, take away Larry Fitzgerald, who's an outside player. Anquan Bolden can play any sort of receiver position. He could line up a tight end if he had to. Well, so, they said he was a tight end playing the wide receiver position. Right. He was and amazing. He sure hands. He can get open in the end zone. He makes great catches. And he's become relevant again when in this whole year he was an afterthought. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's trusting each other, which I like. Going back to Ray Lewis for a minute, too. When I see him coming on the field before the game with the amount of emotion he brings when you're in a game that's like a Super Bowl or even in the playoffs. I mean, there's a lot of major nerves going on in the beginning. Um, and I work with my players to make sure that they can really anchor in and stay in the state of mind physically, mentally, and emotionally in the beginning of the game. Somebody like Ray Lewis, when he comes on with all his dancing and everything else, what he's doing, not only for himself, but for some of the other players, is it starts to take some of the nerves away because that change in body state actually gets them pumped up and ready to play Mm -hmm. rather than nervous about playing. So, I mean, that's a real benefit. I actually, though, I read an article yesterday, I believe, on um, Tory Smith saying, you know, it's not just about Ray Lewis. We wanted to do this before he said he was going to retire. Um, there's a bunch of other guys that are on the team that we want to win for that have been there or, you know, haven't gotten, like, Anquan Bolden has been there but didn't, right. hasn't gotten a ring. Some guys haven't made it. Um, I think they're starting to get a little irritated with all of this Ray Lewis talk. Oh, um, but he's made, he's made himself it. relevant. But you know, there's more to it than them, yeah. and I have to agree with that. There's mm-hmm. a lot more to that team than Ray Lewis. Yeah, he's quite the attention grabber, I guess you'd say. But there is a lot more talent on that team. There's a lot more um, There's a lot more on that team than just Ray Lewis. Just shut up and play football. Who cares? Tory Smith, you know what? <laughs> Let him have his glory. He's played 17 years, 16 or 17 years in the NFL. He got there early in 2000. 13 years later, he's in the Super Bowl again. Cut the guy a break. I think that's ridiculous. Tony you know Gonzalez wanted to win it, too. And, I well, mean, everybody wants everybody to win wants, it. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole thing was on him, and they looked at the whole team. You know, it's mm-hmm. mad. Well, because Tony Gonzalez has always been a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, just did, did his job, the consummate professional. Uh, Ray Lewis has never been that. and, and I, and two, <laughs> Never two, been the consummate professional? No, he's never been behind <laughs> the scenes. To Tori Smith's point, though, I wasn't. I, I used to get annoyed with Ray Lewis because it's it's – it's the coach's job to get a team ready for battle, okay? It's not Ray Lewis's job getting up in front of all of these guys and, and, uh, and preaching and, and, like, and trying to build them up and all these things. That's the coach's job. Ray Lewis, I guess, there's some people that supersede the game to a certain extent. I guess he'd be one of me. He's one of the best linebackers in NFL history. And not me- there aren't many. I mean, there's, there's a good amount, but there's not as many focal defensive players as as there are offensive, obviously, because it's more of an offensive game now, especially. Did you hear what Mrs. Welker said, though, about him? <laughs> Giselle, Giselle Jr. over there. She, I don't... She, ha- she has a point. Oh, you know what? Uh, I don't care because they're not... You need to share. Oh, um, she made a comment after the game. They were talking about how she was proud of her husband, or she... She wrote it, I think, that she was proud of her husband and how he did. And um, by the way, if you're bored, check out Ray Lewis's Wikipedia ad that he's got six kids by four wives and um, acquitted for murder and paid a family off and called him a hall of a, what a hall of fame player, what a role model. And she was ripping on him, and she's later well, apologized. Like, like anything else with football, it goes down to or any sport, it goes down to what do you do on the field? Yeah, you know. And no matter what he does on the sidelines before the game, after the game, if he couldn't play on the field, then he wouldn't deserve to do any of the rest that he does. And it's not his fault that people forgave him. 
It's our society. People are very forgiving. Talk to us in five years about Lance Armstrong. He'll either be racing or ahead of another charity again. So people forgive very, very easily in this country, especially uh, exemplary athletes. You know, I mean, and obviously, I mean, and and political figures, I guess, to a certain extent, but more athletes, it's more of a dumbed down thing where it's their stance in the whole grand scheme of the United States isn't that important, if you think about it. Sports isn't that important in in making the world go. I mean, granted, there's a lot of money, and I understand, but like, if, if, and him going from uh, a murderer to an obstructor of justice, Fair. Okay, I understand that. But let's look at the good things now because after the Super Bowl is over, there'll be ramifications. There will be there'll be backlash about that. But I think that for what he's done for the sport and how they carry, especially even this year, how they limped into the playoffs and now they're in the Super Bowl, it's a beautiful thing. Well, and for any of us, sports is simply an escape. You know, it's what the rest of us haven't been able to do at that particular level, and it gives us some way to forget everything else that's going on in our lives and just focus and scream and holler and jump up and down ourselves even in our living room or in a bar really drunk. Yeah, and let, let me clarify, that's a fan's perspective because we, we, we haven't gotten paychecks from the NFL, so obviously the, the players and everything will have a very different outlook, which, obvious because it's an occupation. It's, it's a completely different uh, stance in the argument. I want to talk about Tom Brady. Um, the mad genius of Bill Belichick, I guess, has an expiration date. Um, he, they're becoming exactly what the Indianapolis Colts were with Peyton Manning, but take away that one Super Bowl. They're a great regular season team, and Tom Brady, numbers-wise, drops across the board in the playoffs. Has he got seven yeah. or eight years that he hasn't made it in to the Super Bowl? Well, last year. Last year. Right, no, but I mean in a row. Oh, I... I'm trying to... I, I don't... Okay, fine. Yeah, 07 in 2011. To win, I think they won their last one in 03, I want to say. Um... Across the board, 63% passer uh, completion it, uh, over his regular season career, 62% in the playoffs, 7.5 yards per attempt regular season, 6.5 yards per attempt in the playoffs. He drops down almost 15 yards per game passing in the playoffs from regular season, throws less touchdowns, throws more interceptions. It, I mean, granted, he's never had a stellar receiving core. Take away this year, take away Randy Moss when they broke all those records, lost in the Super Bowl to uh, uh, New York. But he's never had a run game. It just doesn't matter. There's such a huge magnifying glass on him, but being the golden boy and everything, golden boy hasn't done jack when it's mattered in mm-hmm. recent history. What about that slide, too? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the kind of quarterback he is. I mean, Peyton Manning wouldn't even accept across the line of scrimmage because they're quarterbacks. You know, this is the new, the, the new read option thing. wasn't around when they, when they came in the league. You know, they had to become excellent passers, excellent decision makers, and have excellent patience to to be to flourish in the NFL. It's different now. Did he do that slide intentionally? Did he stick his foot up? Because that's what they're saying. Oh, oh the foot up. I thought you meant. I thought you meant on the on the third and four player, the fourth oh, and yeah, four no, player, reading the foot down. Who who cares? Well, I, I, like, I, in I my opinion, it, because I guess to me it gets he he's getting to that. Because um, to me it looked intentional. I mean, that was the weakest slide I've mm-hmm. ever seen, and it looked he's like just he was uncoordinated. To, that could be it too. <laughs> He's Plus never that. been a dirty player. He's never been. Why would he? It doesn't it's make any sense. Desperation to me, it seemed like desperation. To kick at that a guy point. in the in the just, groinal region. I mean, you but do it things. Seems, it, seems, it it appeared to be intentional, but at the same time, I look at it and say, 
How stupid would it be to stick your leg up like that and get it broken right. by somebody running into it, you know, in the positioning that he was in? Because he was moving was and so was everybody <laughs> else, yeah. And last year our whole conversation around Brady was about his wife and all of her comments and such. It's like, you know, they're not even worth the conversation. Yeah, and then you can go to Tom Brady and say that, you know, you, you wanted to have nothing to do with your first kid and all that stuff. So, I mean, everybody has their stuff. We don't – it's not our job or our even our uh, responsibility to look in their personal lives. You know, if we're going to talk about sports, we're going to talk about what's on the field, as Deborah alluded to earlier. Hmm. So I don't care. Unless you're going to lay your own stuff out there, too. Yeah, I'm not going to. Well, I, I'm not, not going <laughs> to. We, we, we really, really need another that. hour. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, that's for another show uh, with nobody listening. Um, I, I just don't think it's fair as sports analysts to talk about their personal lives because mm-hmm. that's not what we're here for. I agree. So, I mean, granted, you know, you're going to have wives. That's just a cheap shot. That's fine. That Giselle did the exact same thing. Well, he, she was more talking about Welker uh, last right. year. But, uh, you know, it's just there's no room for that in the in the world of sports, in my opinion. Well, that's an e-channel conversation. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm looking at – What about Belichick? But, yeah. Not doing uh, an interview? You know what? your conversation around that? Well, you know, it's, it's funny that <clears throat> before he met Tom Brady – he was an awful coach. Mm-hmm. So now he's the mad, ge- the mad defensive genius who refuses to pay his defensive players and lets all of them go. I mean, granted, their defense was much better this year than it was last year, especially their run defense. I don't know why they don't pay their players. It doesn't make any sense to me. You pay Tom Brady. You don't pay Wes Welker, who's gotten you more wins than probably any other person besides Tom Brady in, in recent history. It doesn't make any sense. And then they all go and, and they get paid in other places. Maybe they won't win a Super Bowl, but at least they'll get paid and they'll get to play and, and they'll be believed in. Belichick just uh, chews people up and spits them out, drafts new guys, lets them go when they get older. It just doesn't make any sense. You can build no real substance with your defense if you have a new defense every year. So, I don't know. Something's got to happen in New England. They're going to be an afterthought soon because Tom Brady's time, uh, clock is ticking. So, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Going back to the Super Bowl... The Baltimore Ravens' defense has got to be torn up at this point. In the first two games, they played 87. They had 87 total snaps on defense in both games. So that's 174 snaps in two games. For a defense that's not young, you know, take Ray Lewis and Ed Reed out of it. Terrell Suggs is coming back from an injury. Ray Lewis can't be 100%. So it'll be really interesting if San Francisco will just, maybe they'll bring back the read option and just run all over these guys and try and manage the clock and keep them on the field as much as possible. I think that's the key to San Francisco winning the Super Bowl. Well, see, they've got two weeks to get rested up, iced up, and shot mm-hmm. up so that they can all get up out, out on the field. I wonder. I wonder if that'll be. A, I wonder if that'll be a hindrance. I wonder if with the juices flowing, keeping it, keeping it going. And I don't think that there should be a week. I obviously it's just their, for money. Their bodies and for yeah. rest. Mentally, think, their bodies need rest. Yeah, but the injuries they get the shit beat out of them, and they've done it for the entire year. That believe me, their bodies need rest you if they do it right. The adrenaline, though, I they see where you're going. When you're ever, when you're going and the adrenaline's going, you don't really feel it. When you sit and rest for a while, yeah, you, yeah, you don't. You don't, think all, you don't think all those injuries will tighten up for T- for Terrell Suggs and, and Ray Lewis? These guys are old. I would say they go, but they're also they also that's what they've got professional trainers for it is to keep their bodies limbered up. And if they're not working with somebody on the mental game, they ought to be so that when they go into the game, they they should know how to pump themselves up for a game. You walk on the field, go through the tunnel for a Super Bowl. If you can't get yourself pumped up, body, you know, mentally, emotionally, physiologically, then you need to choose another sport. Yeah. I mean, looking at the offensive side for Baltimore, they have the number one 
yard getter in every major category. Well, passer rating, Joe Flacco, Ray Rice, Anquan Bolden, the defensive leaders in tackles are all Ravens in the top five in the playoffs. So they're playing, they're firing on all cylinders. They are ready to go, and I think that this week will benefit. This extra week off will benefit San Francisco more than it will benefit Baltimore. So I'm going to say this. I agree with Alex. Well, that's okay. Damn, girl. I know that never <laughs> happens. It's you know what? It's okay. Everything's okay. I, I, I will it's say though. Year. I, I was looking at um. I was comparing numbers between Tom Brady and Joe Montana in the playoffs. Joe Montana played one less game, four Super Bowls, won all four. He has like 80 less yards. In four games that Tom Brady has in five Super Bowls, which just it, it blows my mind. I just don't I don't understand the disconnect with big games with huge, huge star quarterbacks. I mean, and you get beat by Joe Flacco, who really is just more of a working man quarterback who has a great arm. He probably has the strongest arm in the NFL. I will say that his completion percentage is awful because well they throw the ball down the field more than any team in the NFL, which which you wouldn't think, but he has more completions over twenty yards than any quarterback in the NFL. And I just don't understand how that potent offense, minus Gronkowski because he was out, how they could put up 13 points and and not make the Super Bowl. I just don't I don't get where his head is that he can't show up for a game that's that's the biggest in in his career. I mean, well, that's the thing. I mean, you could see a, a defeated look in his body language mm-hmm. as well as his facial expression, and you can't physio again phys- going back to physiological. If you want to change your state and get back to being pumped up, you've got to change your body position. You've got to, there's a number of things that can happen to get pumped up again, and he, he wasn't. Well, even at the beginning of the game, watching him on the sidelines during the anthem, he had his hands in his pockets. He just had this look on his face like he was kind of stressed out almost. For the well, overthinking. Yeah. And thinking yeah. is way overrated. You so need to not be thinking when you're on the field. And like five, that. six, seven years ago, you would never think that Tom Brady, you think he'd be autopilot yeah. Yeah, throughout, throughout any yeah, big game. You need to be instinctual. And I mean, yeah. I think he might be feeling his age. I think he might be feeling the game slowly starting to fall out know. of his grasp. Granted, they'll go 11-5 and five next year. They'll go 12-4 and four next year. They'll make the playoffs. They'll get a bye. It's going to be the same thing over and over again. Rinse but, and repeat. Yeah, yeah, but you can't. But but I think that the Ravens and San Francisco wanted more than every other team. Absolutely. You know, and John Harbaugh, those two guys are such great motivators. And then you have the Ray Lewis thing, fine. So so that's icing on the cake. That's a cherry on right. top. Fine. San Francisco, how do you unrattle a 23-year-old who's never played? This is the biggest game of his career. He's leading a team. Three down 17 nothing. before you know what your name is. How do you motivate him to forget, think the score, make the score zero zero again, and and allow him to just play the game like he knows how to play it? Jim, Har- you know what? I I will well, gush I, about Jim Harbaugh. I don't care. They already won this year. They well, won last the, year. They yeah. already won this yeah. year. It doesn't matter if they win or not. Well, I, the communication they have with each other too, between coach and player. I mean, to watch them. I mean, they're like little kids jumping yep. up and down and celebrating and that. I think that's phenomenal. I mean, that's what keeps the game alive. And guys need to, you know, some of the players I work with, one of the things we talk about is they need to go back to what it was like for them either in high school or college, wherever they were having the most fun and playing at their absolute best. Because when you get into the pros, so many times because it is really a business, when they get to game day, they get way too serious. Mm -hmm. And they need to have a lot more fun on the field so they can play at their competitive best and keep the seriousness for the practice, which is when you're in your training mindset. Right. Yep. But, you, I mean, Grant said, yes, Jim Harbaugh looks like he's having fun on the side. It's not Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete Carroll's mm-hmm. very – he's smiling all the time. Jim right. Harbaugh's like – he's, oh, he's a, intense, He's a militaristic he's, coach. Yeah, yeah, he's intense. You know, and that could yeah. seem – I don't know how mm-hmm. there's no disconnect between, between a gumshoe coming in playing quarterback 
and this you know four star general who's just rip. I, I don't I don't see him really rip players though. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, he'll get in players' faces, but there's a very fine line between that he will not cross of just getting and just being almost well, becoming he's, physical he's with his players. I think yeah, I don't think he's degrading. I think he's just intense. So he, he may yell, but he's yelling things, and I think there's a level of respect that they have for him that they actually listen to what he says. Absolutely. We got Kwame on the line. Kwame, what's up, man? Super Bowl pick, tell me and why. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, Super Bowl pick, San Francisco 49ers. And why? Uh, the dynamic of uh, Colin Kaepernick. I think uh, Harbaugh, you know, we question and, and ponder his decision of switching quarterbacks. But this quarterback gives his team the best option. They do have a running game. Uh, also, on top of having one of the best defenses in the league, that keeps them in the game, that allows them to get back in football games after trailing. I think the dynamics of what the quarterback brings now and the confidence he has gives them the edge over the um, emotional Baltimore Ravens in the Super Bowl this year. What do you think about um... – with with Joe Flacco throwing the ball, spraying it all over the field, and Atlanta getting out to such a huge lead against San Francisco by throwing the ball, do you think that's going to be a problem? I mean, do you think Joe? Uh, Flacco- I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be too much a problem. But uh, it's, it's good to see Flacco and the time he's been in the league. Uh, he is one of the quarterbacks that won the most postseason football games. Uh, I think we're on the road postseason football games. Yeah, it's good to see him doing that now. Um, but I, I don't think it'll be a problem with this defense. This defense was able to back bounce, bounce back, and that's how they get to the pinnacle right now as, as it's playing in the final game, uh, making a halftime adjustments. A lot of teams are pretty good, but they don't have that coach or that certain person on their team, not even just person, but uh, a group of players that, okay, here's where we are. This is what we need to do, and, and they make those adjustments coming out and getting it, getting it done. Uh, it is a contract year for Flacco, and most guys, if you know, it's crazy, but most guys always play well when their contract is up because <laughs> the next, the next, you know, when you get your money, sometimes there's a comfort level. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of things plays into his situation. Uh, the caliber of offensive coordinates, he had Cam Cameron over there. They fired Cam Cameron in the middle of the season in Baltimore. They have Caldwell there now, and the things just change. It's also it's the comfortability of, of who's talking to you, how they're talking to you, and the ways you understand it. So I think it's good to see Flacco throw the ball all over the field. It's good to see Flacco even throwing more to his left side, which they thought was a problem. Right. But he, he's, he's, he's having fun, and he has the, the weaponry over there to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, we talked about Anquan Bolden and how he's come back and become relevant again, which has been huge for Flacco. Uh, it's, 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 inter- it's interesting to see that Jim and John Harbaugh couldn't be more different on the field uh, on the sidelines. Jim is very, very demonstrative, very in your face, and John Harbaugh seems very, like, very much like a cool cat. You know, mm-hmm. seems very cool, but he he has his position there. He has his position of power, and people see it by his body language. But he's not jumping all over the field like a crazy person. It's kind of like uh, it's, you know, you grow up, you got a brother, you grow up with your brother, and uh, one is always talking, always being uh, the prankster of the family. One is always reserved and more serious from the outside looking in. You also got to remember one was in college where there were kids where he had to be exuberant. He had to bring some excitement, keep these kids motivated. And on a professional level as a coach, you expect these guys to come in here and do their job. You're a professional. This is what's asked for you. This is what's, uh, this is your task. Let's go get it done. And you, and then you recruit in such a way as 
does this guy fit into our defense, offense, our kicking team? All right, we got the right guy here. Here's the playbook. Here's the plan. Go execute. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it's it'll be really really interesting to see. There's a lot of different dynamics in the Super Bowl, and um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be good. Two weeks, two weeks from uh, or a week from Sunday, it's gonna be good. I want to switch. There's no uh, smooth way to switch over to this, but we got to talk about the Lakers. Um, Seventeen and twenty-four. Cindy, you have something to say? Well, while we were still on football, um, Sean Payton got reinstated. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, that it, that was supposed to. I mean, that was supposed pretty, to happen after the Super Bowl, and it happened earlier. So. That's good. Well, yeah. I mean, and he's the only one that didn't get uh didn't get pardoned yet. So I mean, he's he's the only one that missed out on a on a paycheck, <laughs> which is uh, unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that too next year. Five million dollars. I think paid five to seven million dollars. I'm not sure exactly the number. Was it something around there that he lost last year from yeah, not around, coaching? It was around seven. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. So Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, 17 and 24. They're 12 seed in the West. They're only three games out of the eight spot. So, in my opinion, they'll still make the playoffs. But um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how everything unfolds. I think everybody needs to chill the hell out with this. Um, granted, yes, Mike D'Antoni was the wrong choice as a coach. Their personnel does not match his coaching scheme but by any stretch and age. Also, they're the, I think the oldest or top two or three oldest teams in the in the uh, in the NBA. Um, the big, the five guys, Dwight Howard, Pau Gasol, Kobe, Steve Nash, and Meta World Peace have only played in 12 games together this year. 0-5 as starters, fine. They played about half of a game in all of preseason together. So I think that until these guys play more games together, they're not going to win. And they have to get to know each other. Kobe ha- Kobe's, Kobe's come leaps and bounds this year, in my opinion, with not having to dominate the ball as much as he did last year, letting Steve Nash run the, run the team to a certain extent on the floor. Dwight Howard needs to step up. He's he's still injured. Powell just come off a of game, uh, come off of a concussion, so he's only been he he missed five games this past week. They need to just play, and I think there are enough bad teams in the West to where they'll climb up the ladder and make the playoffs. Jim Buss needs to stop. Uh, with the player personnel, he needs to step down, have somebody else come up that knows what the hell they're doing, and a lot of things can change and become more positive, but everybody needs to chill out, in my opinion, at this point. Kwame? Well, I, I think um, it started with Jim Buzz. Jim Buzz, if you got a vendetta that you want to get off your plate, and then you do what you did as far as the coaching, the hiring, and the co- hiring of coaches, and then you, Phil Jackson, is out there and say he's never been asked or he wouldn't have mind coming by. And we know Phil Jackson coached, you know, he's superstars. But at the same time, he gets them to the championship game. He wins championships games. Uh, D'Antonio and his running run gun offense, no defense. It, it's up to him now as a coach, as a manager, to uh, find a defensive coach. If the offense is your thing, they're specializing that. And we talk a lot about this on this show with uh, football. If you're a head coach and you've been a great offensive coordinator, do what you do best. But in D'Antonio's situation case, run the offense, give you a great defensive guy in, and then let that be what it is and fix it. But, it's, again, and I go back to it starting with Jerry Buss and his vendetta that he had to do. It's not that the Lakers are losing basketball games. It's how they're losing basketball games. And it's the Lakers and it's the – the, the guys they have over there, they have superstars. And there's, on most teams, there's probably three superstars at the most, and you got some solid role players. We can look on that Lakers team and who they put on that floor. They got a solid four guys that we that we watch playing in the NBA. 
that we respect and feel like they should be getting it done. So I think it's more so that the uproar of the age 17 and 24, 12 and 24, whatever their record is, that they're losing games or how they're losing these games, not that they lost games. And they're only three games out of eight place, which that's all they need to get into the playoffs if it was to happen. And I think the Lakers would be fine uh, somehow get it together because you mentioned Kobe. Kobe right now is leading the lead in scoring. He just needs some different role players to step up and maybe the chemistry to be more uh, cohesiveness. Right, and that and that comes with time. So I mean, it, well, it's like watching Miami year before last that they were trying to figure out, you know, all these superstars how they were going to make it last. The only problem with the Lakers is between Kobe and Nash is their clock is ticking at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and Miami had their whole team throughout the whole season. I mean, Dwayne Wade got hurt during the middle of the season, but they had their whole team to start the season. They all played in preseason games together. Dwight Howard was coming off back surgery. And they were one of Kobe doesn't need to play in the preseason. I mean, he plays all year. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Um, the other thing that that really bothers me that, that Mike D'Antoni is doing is he's being stubborn. He is being, he's being. I am going to run my offense. I don't care what my personnel is. I don't care how old my team is. I'm going to run my offense. I'm going to sit Pal Gasol when Dwight Howard is on the floor and vice versa because they both play the same position. So I don't want them to be on the floor at the same time. Having two seven-footers that are both going to be potential Hall of Famers on the same team, that's an asset. That's not a crutch. I don't know why they don't put them both on the court. He can scratch his offense. Get Bernie Biggerstaff's offense. They were 4-1 and one when, he was, when he was coaching them interimly. You, you put them both on the block. You go 50 to 70% down low first and run your offense around two of the best big men in the NBA. I don't know where the disconnect is between his brain and what really should be happening. It doesn't make any sense what he's doing now, and I think he's the only one that doesn't believe that. And that's a huge problem when you have coaches and players not on the same page. Phil Jackson was always, everybody was on Phil Jackson's page. There was no question about who was the leader of the team. Granted, Kobe had the mouth. Kobe was the, ta- the star. But Phil Jackson was the man. He was the heartbeat of that team. And Mike D'Antoni isn't even a finger of this team. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm pissed. But, I mean, I think that Clearly. In, in time, Cindy, not now, <laughs> in time, things will be fine. But he has to change. If, if you want to have both of those guys in the game at the same time, you want to have to you can have to skew your game a little bit. He, they hire him for what he does best, what he's done, and what he's been uh, proven to do in the National uh, Basketball Association. This um, this guy, uh, D'Antonio, is going to have to, you know, make some. It, it can't always be uh, if outside looking in that I'm in charge. It can't always be my way or the highway, and and not when you're dealing with grown men, college guys, collegiate guys. You may be able to get away with that. Uh, but he's going to have to change some things. But I think in Mike D'Antonio's defense, he's thinking, I've been hired to coach this team the way I coach, and that's why they hired me. Um, but most great coaches and mo- most great people that do things in life, they don't, they're not the only leaders in the room. There's more leaders in the room. If you're in a room and you're the only leader, you won't fail. you got to believe in the other people you have around you. If you hire a coaching staff, if you got people around you, you got to value their opinion and run with it and see how – it goes, especially in a situation where the Lakers are right now, uh, 24 losses. That's a lot. You have to be the only leader in the room. You have to have other leaders around you. That way you make somebody question, or not question, but you make somebody rethink how you do stuff. At the same time, your philosophy, um, both, your philosophy around the whole board 
a coaching style, it, it gels. And now the players see that, and now they find a way to get it done. Well, you know, you see a lot of teams that fire their coaches because they've been losing. Some guy come in and they start winning. It's the atmosphere. If the atmosphere is not healthy, and every time they get in the press, somebody's saying something bad or one of the players are saying something bad because of how they was treated or how they feel a certain way about things, you're not going to be able to transcend that one from the other and then say, okay, I'm going to play with you tonight. We got to be in Oakland tomorrow playing the Warriors or Golden State playing the Warriors. Uh, now I'm going to turn it on. You can't turn it on and off like that consistently through an 82 season, game season. You right. have to be able to find a way to gel and work together. I know everybody don't have to love each other, but you have to find a way to work together and get it done. And every time we're doing interviews, it can't be bad or negative press all the time. Right, yeah, it's, it's interesting with uh, the Lakers. The Lakers have superstars and they're having problems. I kind of want to switch to a, a team that is in utter dismay, which uh, uh, it's actually right down the road here, the Phoenix Suns. They, um, they uh, decided to part ways with, didn't fire. They're like, hey, we'll give you a million bucks. You know, just just go off into the sunset, Mr. Gentry. Uh, granted, the coach is always a scapegoat in these um, situations. He got rid of Steve Nash, got rid of your cor- the cornerstone of your franchise in recent history. Everybody's freaking out that they're losing games. This is all part of the plan. I don't know why everybody's freaking out. You need dark days before you have the golden years. Okay, you need a couple years of not making the playoffs, getting good draft picks, molding your team under a, around a young core, which is what the NBA is now. Look at Oklahoma City. They were awful. They draft Kevin Durant. He has a pretty good first year. They don't make the playoffs. They draft Russell Westbrook the next year, and then they draft James Harden. And now they're the best team in the NBA, uh, arguably. So I think that the Suns are doing the right thing. They have a young core. They have a great center in Martian Gortat. They have, a, they have serviceable parts, and they just need to start losing. This is a good thing for them, in my opinion. And it, it sounds it's twisted to say, but I really think that it's a good thing. It would be nice to have a coach that the players respect. Well, I, I think – go ahead, go ahead, Kwame. The Phoenix Suns don't – I don't think at this point right now, as we talk about them and we look at this team and everyone in Arizona – I don't think they should be losing. I don't think this should be the tragedy that it is for the Phoenix Suns. But we watch these guys get rid of uh, Stoudemire. We watch them get rid of let Steve Nash go, um, Sean Marion. We watch them get rid of one guy to Houston and bring them back. You, if you want to build a team, you keep the core. You keep some core guys together. Now the uproar is, in my opinion, is the fans. The fans are tired of going to the game. I, I mentioned last week that I went to a game watch the Suns play, and there was no one in that arena. You cannot, and, and some teams, some losing teams, do make money for being losers. They do get TV revenue. They do get, get money the from like, a team like the Lakers, who's, who brings more TV money and marketability to the, to the league. So some teams are content with losing. I don't think the case with the Phoenix Suns, because that's one I hope our hometown team, so I try my best to root for them. But the, the way they do business, and I think Gentry was bound to go anyway, and they say it was mutual. I can pretty close come pretty close to believing that was a mutual situation, and maybe they needed a change because I think he was all for and about the Phoenix Suns. But sometimes, as a coach, as a leader, if you can't get it done, that leader has to say, "Well, let me step down, step back." And see who can, if the Suns can get it done. The guy still leaves in Phoenix. He's he's out there doing all, all the things that we do, but it, it's bigger than him. It's, this team and this community 
you know, they pay a lot of money in these season tickets and going to these games. It was pitiful when I went there. There was no one in the stands. It was, if it wasn't for a college bowl game, there wouldn't be no one in the stands because most of the Kansas State people there. Well, ownership starts to get desperate and coaching starts to get desperate and they start making stupid decisions that aren't going to help anybody. Well, and what do you say now that Dan Marley's leaving too? Dan Marley's not coming back as an assistant coach. Well, I mean, I mean that's a huge. He's been with the organization. He's been pretty much the staple for the organization. Him and Steve Nash. Dan Marley, I don't think Dan Marley want to take over there because they're going to put his name out there as far as one of the candidates for the job. So I don't think he want to even get into that. And Gentry is one of those guys who will get a job somewhere else. And if right. Dan Marley wants to coach, Gentry would have no reservations of not bringing him. Uh, along with him. So uh, it could be a lot of things. Dan Martin does have a lot of businesses going on. He does open a new store every two years. So I don't know. he got a lot of things going on. But, you know, from being with the Suns forever, it, you got to believe that his passion is still as a Phoenix Suns. But yeah, uh, we, we need to take a break. Uh, on the other side, we're going to talk shortly about Manti Teo and Lance Armstrong that happened last week. And then we'll get into Down and Dirty with Deborah. Uh, Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. We'll be back in a minute. Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an Internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris, Cindy Liska holding it down here today. Just heard from Kwame Lasseter. Um, we're going to jump into, very briefly, Manti Teo, fake girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. I don't think this matters at all. Another thing that has to do with not being on the football field. Okay, I, I understand. I said the big eyes from Cindy. I understand that it was the it, part of the heartstrings being pulled during the regular season to get him, uh, like, that, that got him in the eyes. Hold Got him in the eyes of you know, America as as you know American sweetheart and all those things. This kid just he, he was in the wrong place in the wrong time. And, well, here's the thing: whether and, it's true or not, the teams, some of the teams that care about their players' character, 
are actually going to start investigating. They're going to be flying to different places. They're going to be talking to all sorts of people. They're going to figure out whether he had part of this or not. And it could make a difference in the draft. Now, other teams aren't going to care. They're going to look at his talent period, and he's like, I don't know, five to eight or something in the draft. I don't remember what his numbers mm-hmm. are. And they're just going to say, can the kid play? Yeah. So that's the only part that, from a business standpoint, that they're going to figure out who they're dealing with and then make decisions based on that. So if he was part of this, it could be that he loses a position or two, which means he loses money that goes with it. Liska? I think that if he was a part of it, it strikes to his character. I mean, he not only addressed it before they said they found out about it before, um, before the Heisman, and yet he addressed it. Conti- he continued to address my girlfriend at the Heisman um, presentation. So it's, it's something against his character. I mean, whether he was involved in it or not, at that point he found out before the Heisman tro- Trophy presentation. He still referred to his dead girlfriend at the Heisman Trophy presentation. Um, well, I just think that if he if he really is that gullible, he's going to be a lot of fun in, in the yeah. locker room. Yeah, yeah, I mean on. that that's not going to he won't live that down for a while. Uh, his draft stock will drop because he got punished in the national championship game. Yeah, I don't yeah, think it'll have anything exactly. to do with. I don't yeah. think it'll have anything to do with this. People, mm. this is going to blow over. It nothing nothing ever seems like it'll blow over until it blows over and people stop talking about it and that's it. Give it that's another what, week and another what, story and it'll be done. Yeah, I mean my it, it's my funny. favorite line that I've heard all like is. Oh, here the it last comes. Two weeks, the only person who still believes Lance Armstrong is Matt Manti Teo. <laughs> but um, Chim. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, okay. It, so that's it. I think that that's all that that you story can't be really that warranted. Stupid, though you cannot be that stupid. How do you date a girl for a year who's gone through all this drama of a car accident and leukemia and never see her? Who are we to judge? Seriously, who are we to judge? Um, let him let him do what he whatever he, he does. Why hasn't he come forward either to acknowledge? He has not made a statement about it yet well, either. Thursday is his interview. Yeah. Th- wasn't so, he supposed to do it last week though? Okay, well semantics, semantics. I don't think it's going to matter. He's going he's going to answer the questions. He's going to get really emotional, and people are going to forgive him, and that's going to be it. I don't think I don't all, all of the reports came out. I think out. his emotional is going to kind of t- be taken with a grain of salt because he's been so emotional about this fake girlfriend for a year. So, so, is, this so is, are we going to have an over-under on whether he's going to cry? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's going to cry. Yeah. So, I mean, but again, this is all just, in my opinion, it's laughable. I got four uh, alerts from my Score Center app about Manti Teo's girlfriend not real. Manti Teo says it was blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Really? Seriously? <laughs> the fact that he screwed cares? up during the game, like you said, that's yeah, the main point. Can you play or to, can't you? Right. Yeah. Let's stick to that and, and let, let the extracurriculars uh, you know, be as put in the As long as extracurricular doesn't screw with his time on the field or practice and showing up on time and being actually supporting his team and his team members. Right. Now, Lance Armstrong, if you haven't watched the Oprah Liar. thing, it's – it's a uh, Well, yeah, but he's, he's come clean now. Two, <laughs> Twelve years too late. Uh, the only the thing that really got me was that I thought that he was going to show a little bit more emotion. I feel like he really just he, he one word answers. Uh, he said, she set him up for one word answers, which I think was did, genius yeah. on her, her part. Right. So the only time he got emotional was when he talked about his kids. Right. So he still it seems like shows no remorse. Uh, he is the exact opposite of what everybody thought he was. Which is really, really difficult to do when you are when you are America's darling, is raising all this money for cancer, which he did, which you can't, which you can't overshadow. All of this cheating, 
yielded millions and millions of dollars for his corporate for for that charity, which which is just true. It sucks. It, it's it's way backward thinking to think that the cheating could have come had any positive fruits that it bared, but it did. Millions and millions of them. It's, well, yeah. he's cunning. He's calculated, and he definitely lacks character. Yep. I mean, he's just. He's like Tiger Woods. Well, and his timing is impeccable. There's nothing like waiting until... I mean, he timed it perfectly to know that the statute of limitations was going to be over so he could no longer be charged with perjury. Um, he he knew exactly what he was doing. He was absolutely calculated. Yeah. He was, he's it's deceitful. He's, he's, an, he's a mad genius. He's evil. He, he went through the exact avenues, tributaries, everything to go through to allow America to forgive him. Years down the road, he could have done a press conference with forty-eight uh, microphones in his face. He could have done that. He could have, he could have done a phone but call. Then but he, he went out to, to Oprah in a three-hour, a three-hour two-part series. Give me a break. He, he's a genius, though. That was too. I will give. Oh, yeah. I will give it, that to him. It was too dangerous because he was able to guide, have a conversation with Oprah. His people were able to have a conversation, saying, "Ask this kind of question, so you will get this kind of answer." Um, if you have a, you have 40 media microphones stuck in your face, they're going to ask all kinds of questions. It's going to get him off of his game, and it's going to throw him off, and it's going to be a completely uh, different. When, when, when he started answering vaguely to some of the questions that Oprah asked, I feel like not all of them were scripted. I mean, he, yeah. Oprah asked a couple questions. He's like, blah, blah. She's like, no, what, do, what exactly do you mean by that? Right. Mm-hmm. She held him accountable. She's brilliant. Yeah, she's a she's good brilliant. interviewer. She's, yeah, brilliant. she's, a, she's, she's brilliant. a really good interviewer. And I feel most compassion for his kids, his parents, um, who actually believed in him, stood up for him. You know, kids are arguing on the internet for him and mm-hmm. stuff that he has to go and tell them, mm, no, yeah, really, stop, you shouldn't, stop you shouldn't defend me. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop defending me. That, yeah, it, and they got to keep showing up to school. Yeah, and it was, I feel it, bad for his kids. It was, interesting, um, it was interesting to see the Manti Teo release of all this thing happening right after Lance Armstrong thing he happened. He was going, shoot. It was just, yeah, it was just <laughs> pretty, pretty interesting to see. But neither of them watered down the other, which was interesting. They both were their separate entities, and they were right. both followed with, uh, you know, with and a then magnifying glass. And they were merged. Yeah. Cindy. You know, you're, <laughs> you're merged in a joke. You're, you're the great equalizer, you know? Um, we're going to go right into Down and Dirty with Deborah. I feel like this is going to be a good one. Oh, well, what I want to talk about this week is really give you some tips around communication, whether you're a coach, a teacher, a parent, it doesn't matter, um, or even, you know, an employer that's managing people. Because what I find is that people aren't getting their point across. They aren't being understood, and then they get angry and upset and wondering why they're not being understood. And I had an incident, uh, not an incident, I had a presentation that I gave Saturday to some kickers and kickoff specialists, and... After I gave the presentation, I opened it up for questions. And the questions I got, I mean, there was a lot of participation, which I was really pleased about with these guys. And one player in particular was asking, I mean, he asked like six or seven different questions. And his questions were all varied. Um, they, Because I told him, I said, you got an expert that shows up, you're stupid if you don't ask questions and get some information that's going to help you personally when they're going into their pro days and combines. And after uh, this one particular player asked several different questions, the coach kind of stepped in and he said, okay, so-and-so, he said, you know, what's your major? And the kid said, engineering. And the coach's like, well, that's why. That's why you're asking all these questions. You think you need to know all the answers and stuff. You don't need to know all the answers. You just need to do what you're supposed to be doing. And I interrupted him, and I went, "Mm, no, not really. I said, that's part of the problem is that we have to understand how people's minds work, and we we are not created equal when it comes to how we take information in. 
And because this kid was had an analytical type of mind, he was looking for answers. And we needed to, and as I explained, I needed to give his conscious mind enough answers that his conscious mind, the logical mind, could kind of calm down so he could then perform as he's going to perform on the field. Somebody else who might have a scientific mind or a creative mind, they're going to look at things differently. So whether you're on the job, whether you're coaching, uh, or working with your kids or even, you know, uh, other people at work, you need to look and listen to how are they asking questions uh, or how are they taking information in. And just because you might be really clear on the information you're providing doesn't mean that they're understanding it. Um, I used to, whenever I owned the construction company and was hiring people, I would always tell them that it was their job to ask questions. It was my job to answer them. And every time I answered a, answered a question, I would always ask them, did you get that? If they answered yes, and I told them this up front, if they answered yes, then I'm holding accountable for them. If they didn't understand my answer, it's their job to say, no, I don't understand. I didn't look at them as being stupid. I looked at them as um, simply not understanding, and I needed to regroup and find a different doorway in to give them the same information in a different way. So I just ask you to take into account uh, and listen to how are you providing information? Is the person you're providing it to really understanding it? Are they auditory, kinesthetic, or visual? You know, Make sure that they totally understand what you're telling them because then you both get the best results. You both get what you're looking for as an end result. Old school isn't necessarily the best way. The new way of knowing and understanding how we can communicate better with each other is the best way to go. So uh, where does it come into play where they have to find some things out on their own? Like is, there is it is more of a personal, crutch to ask questions? No. Some, sometimes, not always. No, I'm not saying always. I'm it, saying. There's personal responsibility on both sides. If you have somebody who just plain isn't going to give you answers, then you need to go figure it out some other way. But at the same token, if you're supposed to be the coach or the teacher or the mentor, you have a responsibility to provide information in a way that it can be accepted uh, or at least give them another avenue in order to find that information. Sure. So it are sometimes where... If they make mistakes first, is is that an important part of the process? Absolutely. To make mistakes before asking questions? It can be. Because like, that learning through experience Absolutely. Is, There's no better learning than experience. Right. So a classroom yeah. learning experience is a nice uh, complement to learning, doing whatever action you're doing as opposed to vice versa. Right. One of the, one of the things that I've found throughout the years is people are so freaking afraid to ask questions because they think if they ask a question, they're stupid. And to me, stupid people don't ask any questions because they think they know, they know it all. Mm-hmm. Smart people are full of questions. And they need to have somebody. I mean, that's the way I went from, you know, receptionist to running a $20 million company on a high school diploma was because I wasn't afraid to ask questions. Now, I got slapped down a few times, but that was okay. I kept coming back. And did I make mistakes? <laughs> yeah, yeah I made, made a few of those and learned a lot from them. Uh, and kept the curious mind, the inquisitive mind, to ask questions and never thinking that my questions were stupid um, unless I was going to ask the same question or anybody else ask the same question over and over and over again. <laughs> and I always felt like is you're, I think it, they go hand in hand, right? So, like, it, try something. If that doesn't work, ask, you know, hey, what am I doing wrong? Am right. I doing something? What can I do better? What can I do to improve? Mm-hmm. And continue to go to, so that the teacher knows that it's not just a give me the answers kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but the or student say, also or, they, that there's a communication back and forth as opposed to just tell me the answers and I'm going to do it however you say. They know that they're trying on their own. Right. And you can also look at, you know, I understood the steps from A to B and B to C and C to D. 
But when you went to that next step, that's where I lost you. Can you help me with that aspect yeah. of it? Um, players, when they're on the field, and let's say they're going through practice where it's in a training mindset and, an, and more of an analytical mindset, you know, I teach my players not to look at it and say, what did I do wrong? Or even when they're watching game films, but to say, okay, really to observe it from an observatory standpoint, to look and see what they did right, what they did wrong, so to speak, and to ask themselves, what am I going to do differently the next time? Mm -hmm. So that what they're putting in their minds is the steps to as to how they're going to do differently, rather than asking the question, you know, what did I do wrong? And then they get all the answers that tell them what they did wrong, and their mind goes, okay. And it, it wants to repeat what you just told it, which is to do it wrong again the next time. And that just builds the foundation for... Mistakes. Yeah. For losing and sitting at home watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> like me. Instead of playing. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Down and Dirty with Deborah. YourClearEdge.com. Email Deborah at YourClearEdge.com. You can follow me at Clancy's Corner on Twitter. At Cindy Liska 38 on Twitter. What's a 38 for? Um, actually, it's... Is that a weird Minnesota thing? No, it's for Pavel Dimitra, who is my favorite hockey player and a friend, and he passed away in that um, Russian hockey... Um, oh, the flight? Flight. Mm. Yikes. So I was, kind I, of was, I, was not ex I was not expecting that. <laughs> it's kind that. of a tribute, so... I was not expecting that. Yeesh. Well, uh, what else do you guys want to talk about? So what's coming up this coming week? What are you into? Um... Sounds of Autism. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, heard of it. We have, we have Sounds of Autism, if you haven't heard, is a charity that both Deborah and I are a part of. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. I'm actually giving a presentation this afternoon to uh, one of the Paradise Valley School Districts on uh, autism and what balance of the spectrum can bring to their students. And that's that's going to be really intriguing. And yep. you're talking about Battle of the Bands coming up yeah, that we you're do. working we, on. We have, we have a... Great event coming on Cinco de Mayo. We'll talk more about it next week. We actually got to get out of here. Uh, Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris, Cindy Liska. You guys are awesome. We'll Bye see you guys now. next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Come back next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. <laughs>